You are listening to At Home, the podcast with Walkie MC. Each week, our team at Wakarusa Missionary Church invites you to join us for a conversation around the topics that shape our lives at home and beyond. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. And welcome, everybody, to Episode 5 of At Home, the podcast with Walkie MC. Good to have each and every one of you joining us uh, here today. And we're excited about this episode because, uh, well, first and foremost, when we think about our Sunday session, just uh, previously, all the conversation that came out of that, many of the questions that have been submitted to us following that, um, very excited to dive in and uh, and have a, a talk. So just want to introduce everybody that is around the table with me here. Uh, first and foremost, uh we are glad to welcome Andy Collins, the Executive Director of Adult and Teen Challenge of Northern Indiana. Andy, thanks for being with us again. You haven't gotten sick of us yet. so <laughs> No, we're, this is we're amazing. Grateful. We're grateful. Angie Brenneman, our Family Ministries Pastor. Chris Knight, our Lead Pastor. And then I'm Joel. So good to be with all of you today. Um, so before we uh, dive in to a lot of the questions that were submitted to us around the topic of addiction, which is a... A big topic. It has impacted every family that we know of in one way or the other. We, when we get into conversations with folks, um, we don't have a conversation very long when talking about family history and things like that, where addiction of some kind has come into play. And so we just feel like with all of this home series conversation we've had, it's really as practical and down to earth and meeting people where they are at as, as best as possible. And so we are just uh, super glad to have Andy with us here today to continue the conversation. But uh, Andy, in light of our Sunday session, and, and I should mention this past Sunday session, we've, we've been doing well. We had a little bit of a technical difficulty and the just when Andy was really heating up for our Sunday <laughs> session recording. Uh, we had a lot about the last ten minutes of that of uh, that uh, session were were cut off because our our machinery literally overheated. It it did. It, it happens. Uh, apparently, Andy was just preaching too hard. It couldn't uh, handle the truth. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it was just like. <laughs> um, but uh, one of the things, uh, really, where we kind of got cut off a little bit, and it's a I think a helpful reminder just for you to kind of bring us back in, Andy, is talking about in the realm of addiction, really identifying. First and foremost, root causes. When we are having this discussion, at the base of all of it, where is addiction coming from? And then follow that up with me, if you if you would. And then Chris and Andrew certainly will jump in on the conversation here. With, in light of addiction, how do many, both the person that is addicted or battling with it, and then their surrounding family members and their kind of surrounding social system, good and bad responses that we frequently see and give some definitions to that. Yeah. So really, you know, what we wanted to tackle on Sunday was sort of exposing and understanding the nature of addiction, right? And so first of all, what is addiction? What, what isn't? And, um, and we, we, we kind of went in not super deep, uh, but we, we did talk a lot about those things that are, that cause either a physical or a mental dependence, right? Whether it's a substance or an activity, whatever. But, um, some of the things that addictions had in common, we talked about it being a dictator, right? And, um, just how it, it just overruns everything. But uh, the main thing where I really wanted to bring the church to understand is our role in as the family, right? As the church, as the family of Christ, and both you know exposing and confronting the nature of addiction in one of our loved ones. And so we really talked about you know looking for um, looking for uh, signs, you know, looking for warning signs, looking for things. 
um, you know, that will that will cue us into the fact that man, our loved one, my loved one might actually be struggling with something that I don't know about. Um, we talked about no confrontation, no transformation, right? Just kind of a simple saying, but uh, unless you're willing to confront something, you're actually not really going to bring a whole uh, lot of transformation to the table. So, um, but really, you know, where we left off, where the recording left off apparently was was talking about the difference between the root and the the scene. So the, the root was sort of the stuff that's under the surface that's not seen. And then, of course, you have like in a plant or a tree, you know, you have the underground, you have the stuff that's above ground, right? Um, and so the, the things that are seen are very indicative of what is unseen, okay? But in order to truly confront the addiction, you have to understand what you're seeing um, in the realm of addiction is always either a cover-up, um, an escape, uh, some some way to try to get away from the pain that you're actually feeling, that you're actually experiencing. Um, so the the root might be stuff as trauma, right? It might be uh, a really difficult experience. It might be neglect in the family. It might be an abuse that one experienced, right, um, as a child or, or whatever it may be. Um, it could be a whole lot going on in the heart. And so in order to truly understand the nature of addiction, you have to understand what somebody's actually trying to cover up or escape from. And so that really actually drives the dialogue in that confrontation. It's not so much that, you know, you're addicted to a substance, although that is obviously a problem. That's not okay. It's really, my loved one, what are you running from? You know, what what is it that you can't reconcile? What is it that God hasn't redeemed yet? What is it that you're still processing and working through? And how can we bring that change? And it's always just uh, a helpful reminder that there, this is not just a physiological uh, thing, that this is a, this is a heart thing. This is a spiritual thing. Um, you know, if, and if we're, and I'm sure many times, Andy, with your clients and folks that you've worked with and the community you've worked with, so many times it's just, I would assume that there could be a tendency of just, let's just deal with the physical stuff. Let's just deal with, give me the three easy steps to quit being addicted to stuff. But let, I don't know about, I don't know about this Jesus stuff. I don't know about this Holy Spirit transformation stuff. Um, what what do you say to the person that is like, I just don't know if I want to go there kind of thing? Yeah, so mind, body, soul, right? I, I truly believe that's what we are, you know? And so we're so connected at every level. Um, you know, addiction is obviously the primary issue, but like we've already mentioned, it's not – uh, it's it's actually symptomatic of the primary issue, which is the root, right? Which is that that either the lie or the whatever. So, um, to try to tackle addiction as the main issue without actually going in deeper, uh, you're doing a disservice to the person. Um, and so once, and especially to the church, we can pretty freely talk about us being soul, right? We have yeah. we have uh, we have the spiritual component, um, and the enemy obviously does such a great job of trying to distract and trying to to deceive. Uh, and cause us to reach out for that quick fix, that thing that can try to get our minds off it. So if we want to look at just addiction uh, and focus all our efforts on just sobriety, um, we can do that, right? But then you still have the the hurt. You still have the pain. You still have that thing that isn't right. Um, so let's say you can even get a person to get sober. Um, what did you replace that with? Oh, yeah. What did you replace the addiction with? You know, because they still have to do something, you know, and if God can't be healer of everything, you know, then then what became it's almost idle substitution at that point. Wow. You know? Yeah. 
So, Angie, we have some really great questions. And, and I should just say, for people listening, for those that were at the Sunday session, just the the willingness to submit these questions is immensely helpful because it, it's a it's a tool for us to know what's really on the ground. What are the on the ground questions? And I'm sure these are questions that you 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 get frequently. Um, and so, thank you for those for people that are stepping up in this home series and 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 they think of a question and they're submitting it. Please know that you're probably helping any n- number of other people. If if you've got the question, someone else definitely probably already has it in the room or or elsewhere. So. Um, Angie, let's just let's go into this first question uh, to kind of guide our conversation that we had we had submitted in regard to addiction. Okay, so Andy, we're going to answer the best we can. Give a little you know synopsis of you know whatever you feel that um, you want to break this down. It may take a little bit of breaking into a, a couple different parts. Sure. I have a child who has addictive tendencies. They change or take turns with different addictions substitution sex smoking vaping eating caffeine alcohol video games stealing like they are searching for something they don't see it but as their mom i do praying isn't enough inviting to church what else can i do yeah and you know first of all the courage to to write that is commendable and so um, just really, really appreciate that question. What what you hear is as a desperate, yeah. you know, mom or dad, mm-hmm. you know, just saying, "Hey, this is this is my loved one. I love him so much." And and it seems to us like they're searching for something. And so, at the end of the day, you, we have to understand that they are searching for something, right? And and that's typically, uh, you know, whether it's healing, um, whether it's identity, right? Whether it's uh, fulfillment, whether it's you know, just. That that fact that am I okay? Am I not okay? Um, and so yes, I, I think that we need to. What I would answer this this family in all love, um, in all compassion, is just simply that uh, they wrote it right. I mean, they are searching for something, and and I feel like the family's role. Um, you know, our job as as parents, right, is to disciple our children. And man, I tell you what, our American life does not lend all that well to this process. Mm-hmm. Okay. So our schedules are so crammed with good activities, good activities, right? Things that we that we sign up for, all this stuff, but they, they take time away, you know? Um, we talked on Sunday about how confronting our own family members, our loved ones, that's the hardest confrontation of all. And so when you're talking about uh, trying to change something within the family context, it's going to take time and it's going to take intentionality and it's also going to take a high degree of truth, right? And so this is what I always say. You have to create time and space and, you know, be prayed up and go in with the thought that, listen, I love you, right? And I want to help bring about change in your life. And so we're actually going to have the hard conversations that need to be had, um, in the name of truth, in the name of Jesus, that are going to help bring you from point A to point B. And so I encourage family members to talk very earnestly, very openly, very truthfully to the best of their ability. And we call things out in love, right? There's a way to do that. And, and there's a way not to do that, right? But I believe God in, in, in that moment will give us uh, the wisdom. But um, trying to break this down, yes, you know, they are looking for something, they are looking for something, um, and they can't quite see it, right, like mom and, and dad can. Um, praying isn't enough, right? Let's, let's talk about that for a second. 
Can I jump in on please, that for, actually, for just please. a second? I, for those of you who do submit questions, I want you to know that I don't personally know who submitted this question. So we don't know the context. We don't know the background to the story. Yeah, so when you point. submit your questions, n- know that uh, you're doing so with anonymity. I mean, Angie may know at, at times, but we aren't sitting here asking, oh, t- di- di- uh, diagnostically yeah. looking at your right. situation. So I don't know the context to this. Mm-hmm. But, but Andy, before you go too much further in this, uh, obviously, this mom is hurting, yeah, and she would like it changed, like any of us as parents would like yeah. it changed tomorrow. Sure, uh, she, there was a comment, and I do believe with, with my assumption in this comment is when she says praying is not enough. Yeah, uh, I get to play the pastor card on this podcast, Amen. Uh, <laughs> and and I want to just briefly. I know we don't have a lot of time to get into your story, yeah, but I know your story. Yeah, I know you were in Dallas, Texas, and your family was trying to find out where you even are. Yeah, talk to us about the depth of which prayer actually does play a role yeah. in this. So my family saw me struggling from my teenage years. You know, I mean, that was just the reality is I, I was searching for something. <laughs> and, you know, the lies of the enemy kept me from reaching out for the actual truth in that moment. And I, you, could have, I, you couldn't have convinced me at 15, at 17, and then later at 19, especially when that traumatic event hit my life that God was actually going to be the answer for my issues. At that point, I don't care who you were, it wasn't going to work. You know, um, I had to go through this, but my family never stopped praying for me. They didn't do everything perfectly. You know, they look back, I look back, uh, you know, we can pinpoint things where they might have enabled me too much through certain seasons or gave me the way too much benefit of the, of the doubt and others. But the one thing they didn't do is stop praying for me. And they actually ramped up their efforts to where it actually went to a fasting and praying. Mm-hmm. Now that's the that's the F word, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But <laughs> but I mean it, and like it is so powerful. And when Jesus said in the in the word, like certain things don't come out unless by prayer and fasting. Like there is a role that fasting plays um, in in breaking things loose that don't come out any other way. And I, I strongly encourage that. But as they fasted and prayed, they actually begin to see things shake loose. Now, in the natural, it actually looked like it, I was going backwards, right? So as they were fasting and praying, my the intensity in my life, I mean, the rock bottom, I just kept falling off this precipice, right? Um, but they continued to do so. And it was through, you know, supernatural events and all this stuff that eventually God um, led them straight to me when I was homeless and lost and they didn't know where I was. And uh, found me. And that, that's kind of what really began the change. But it was through prayer and fasting that that really moved. I just wanted to encourage this mother that, you know, maybe the issue is, yeah, maybe it feels like prayer isn't enough, but perhaps it's it's open now to widening your circle to getting more people praying with you, fasting with you. I know every once in a while my wife's alarm on her phone goes off. I say, hey, your alarm's going off. Uh, what is that? She goes, oh, it's a reminder to pray for somebody. And it's just an opportunity to let the body of Christ be the body of Christ, support and come alongside. So I, I'll let you get back into the question, but I just wanted to pause there no, because big. prayer is critical. And I'm not... I'm not suggesting this mom is de-emphasizing or downplaying prayer, but it's as though she may feel like I don't. I'm not seeing the results. Right. Yep, that's big. So, Andy, you said, um, and you, before we even ask the question, you said that the, everybody's searching for something because there's this like empty hole. There's yeah. this empty place in our lives that will not be filled with anything. Yeah. It's the God-shaped hole, right? It is. And I think we have to realize this is our reality as humans. And I think we always think, well, we're okay. You know, we have our our money, our friends, our family, our jobs, and all this, and we feel secure and safe. But actually, 
when you break it all down, the hole's still there. It doesn't matter. God is the only person that can fill it. And I think I'm just adding to that, um, that something and what you kind of said, it it is the God shaped hole and you can break that question down just a little bit more, but it's going to, it's going to still be there. The hole's still going to be there. Yeah. I mean, and this is something that if we're all honest with ourselves, you know, we still, all of us have to come back to this, you know, as my identity as a director or a pastor or a, you know, competent minister or as, you know, community leader or whatever, is that doing it? My workaholic or my money or my success or my other idol? Yeah. I mean, there's where all of us are working through this and, and, you know, the enemy likes to come in young. He likes to really lure our youngest ones into bondage, you know, through this captivity, through these lies. And so our poor kids are, are honestly, you know, in many ways, um, you know, struggling through a lot of this stuff at, at a young age. But as a parent, and, and again, and you hit something too, Pastor Chris, it was just so good that, you know, when a family, and I talked about this on Sunday, but sometimes a family, and I'm not suggesting that this has happened in this case, just for reference, right? But sometimes a family can actually delay the healing in their own loved ones because of sort of the shame or the the pride, we'll, we'll talk about the other side of it, that, that comes with bringing our issues actually out into the open. And I tell you once, uh, you know, sometimes we don't do that until it's, you know, almost a lost cause or way beyond. Um, but the courage it takes for a mom or dad to come around their, their small group or their pastors or, you know, and you don't put it in the church bulletin, right? But, but you have your people, hopefully, you know, and you can say, listen, you know, let's lift up my loved one because this is what's going on. And, um, and I think getting, you know, that, that synergy of other people also praying for your loved one. I mean, we're going to move, we're going to move things. I have a, I, I guess I want to speak to the parent that isn't there yet and they're listening. What can you um, say to that parent? Uh, that's my fear. My kid's going to, you know, fall into that mold, get some drugs in high school or, you know, fall into something at college. What's mm-hmm. the, what is something you can say to that parent that maybe says, I don't, I don't want my kid to get here. How can I, how can I get that to stop? How can I, what can I do? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a great question. And I, again, I think it goes back down to discipleship in the home. You know, it really all takes, it goes back to that. We have very open conversations around my dinner table, for example, at the Collins household. Uh, my children now 10 and 11, of course, they have a little bit of an advantage in the fact that they're director's kids and they're at the ministry a lot. And they've, but they've had a lot of people that have been in their life and that are now out of their life, um, starting back all the way back to their family, you know, in a sense, if you know my story, but, um, you know, and so I think we, we talk about these things very openly. You know, I'll tell my son at 11, like, you know, you, you want to reach out for these things or you think that this thing might have something good attached to it, but it doesn't, you know, it doesn't. And so I don't want to wait for the bottom to fall out before I have those conversations. I want to even, you know, obviously age appropriate conversations, but nonetheless, we start talking about these things because even the word exhorts us to expose the plans of the enemy, right? And so this is what we're going to do. We're going to expose the plans. We're going to talk about how there is a carrot dangling on a string in front of you in about 10 different areas of your life that you're going to be tempted to at one point to reach out and grab. However, (laughs) you know, there's big consequences that await if you do. And so it's not fear mongering, but it's just exposing. And then you bring it all back to the fact that Jesus is enough. He's Jireh. He is your identity. He is your fulfillment. He is your joy. He is your peace. You know, if you ask me what marijuana is, it's, it's a fake attempt at peace. Yeah. 
That's all sure. it is. Really, it's a it's a crafty way. I mean, you got to roll or smoke or do whatever, but really the end goal is to get calm, peace, yeah. you know. Well, I know someone who d- did that for me yeah. when I called upon his name. You yeah. know, but you have these conversations. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I think kind of and this was a tie-in with the second one where so and it's also once uh, grandkids are involved, how do you help them without enabling uh, the parent or or the or the child? And the I think the enabling question in general, because boy oh boy, I've just had so many conversations with parents or or grandparents where when you start asking like, um, so what? What is family life like? What? Uh, what? How did? How did we get here? Or, you know, and then it's and say, uh, folks thought they were extending compassion to mm-hmm. a person, and, and I've I've recently this has kind of been my own revelation in my life and, and in my counseling work where I compassion is not sturdy enough of a value to live by, like it, and that you want to does that make sense like when i when i say that where you're just like oh i just want to be compassionate well right. yeah jesus was compassionate he was a lot of other things he as flipped well. some tables that's, too right? that's right yeah. and if you're just if your end goal is just compassion i think that's where enabling a, a big part of where enabling comes from because i to, i think back to your point though like it avoids the hard conver- it tends to avoid the hard conversation yeah. um and how let, andy let me ask you this how do, in your experience, people that are struggling with addiction, how do they experience compassion when they are in the midst of their addiction? Like, what is, what's the role? So on the other side, so yeah. like the actual yeah. addict. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> the addict is, um, with, all, I don't, with all due respect, I suppose, um, the most selfish being on the planet. Okay, so everything is about this addiction. And so I stop viewing people as relationships and people, they now start becoming commodities things, right? And, and then uh, a means to an end. Um, and so if you feel compassion on me because, you know, I couldn't come up with my rent, you know, and because of my choices and you, you paid my rent for me, I just went cha-ching. Thank you. I'm going to go back to that well again next month, you know, yeah. and, and, you know, obviously you might have some standards in your life and put up some resistance and then I will, you know, shame you and X you out of my life and go find the next person that would actually help pay my rent. Right. Yeah. And so honestly, it's very, very infrequent that an addict uh, sees something like that and goes, Oh, wow. Jesus motivated that. And I just feel love. And I really want to, you know, now yep. kindness, you know, <laughs> right. fruit of the spirit is, right. is a trait that we ought to be marked by as believers. So when we're doing the confronting with our loved ones, or when we want to act and move on behalf of somebody that we know, you know, we can obviously use compassion, but we just have to understand how that translates right to an addict on the other side to receiving and just goes, wow. Yeah. Thank you. you yeah. Know? Don't be fooled. (laughs) Angie Brenneman, we need to do a whole podcast on this because this is parenting. This is really a parenting issue. This is not just an addiction issue. Uh, I see this starting with your two- and Mm three-year-olds when Mm -hmm. we are teaching them that, hey, no does not mean no. Uh, No means, well, if you keep throwing a fit enough, that I'm actually going to supply this for you. And then we've created a pattern in their life. Then we ultimately get to addiction, and now we're enabling them by saying, well, okay, well, I'll help you in this too. And we're not – I'm just – I'm encouraging parents everywhere. Uh, Listen – 
this starts young with Very parenting. Young. And I, I think there's a whole podcast on oh, this Oh, I totally agree. Andy and I, before we even got on here, we're talking about how key it is and how early this conversation starts. And it's a habit we get into. We kind of get numb in our parenting. We don't want to hear the cries or we don't want to hear the, we get numb to the asking. And so we just want to like give them something. And so they figured out how to get us to get give them something oh yeah we condition so we condition our parents you know in in the child's seat right we condition our parents how to get what we want and we do that young and uh you know a parent's role is to relieve suffering or so we think right however Mm -hmm. when we do that at the cost of a lesson when we do that at the cost of you know a greater experience that's going to move them closer to becoming responsible adults you know, then that's where we fail, right? That's yeah. where we drop the ball. You heard it from Andy. I, what I heard, just heard Andy say is parents help your kids get comfortable with suffering. That's just yeah. what I, that's, that's what I'm going to summarize it with. We're yeah. going to, in fact, I'm just going to put it up as a quote that Andy said, because that's really what I, what I'm hearing. Cause that's, that's the thing. I mean, and I get it. Every parent, every loved one, the desire to rescue is, is a strong one. Um, I, I we've had many conversations here just amongst us of, I think, I don't know, maybe it is what's kind of transpired in culturally over the last couple of years, but the value of suffering well, suffering strong and, and, and understanding that that in of itself, when you as a parent see your kid entering into a season of suffering going, ah, opportunity here, not, not to rescue and, and to pull them out of it, but to maybe walk alongside, maybe to, to kind of point out where, where God is working in the midst of that. Um, I know that's not my knee-jerk reaction. I, it's like, oh, you're hurt. Your things are going rough. Let me make this better for you. But, yeah. but rather, there, there's a there's a more Christ-centered way uh, to go about it. And guilt and shame, right? Those are two things, two emotions that, um, well, guilt is God-given, and this is where some people disagree. Some people are like, "Man, avoid guilt and shame at all costs." No, no, guilt is actually an emotion yep. that we experience. Yeah. Right as a, as a consequence of something bad or negative that we did, we need to feel that. And so as parents, our job needs to be to capitalize on those moments. And how are you feeling, little Johnny or Susie, like I was talking about on Sunday, right? How are you feeling? And, and how do we help you, um, you know, walk through this guilt? Now, shame isn't a cloak that they're supposed to wear. The problem is when you continue to relieve them. So discipline. So, man, we're going to go to parenting, right? right we're just switching yeah. gears, right? Love it. So discipline is what we call a reset for a child's conscience, right? And so discipline is a result of a negative action. It's a consequence of a negative action. Now, it, But it gives, it ascribes worth and love to that individual. So if you constantly rescue me from feeling, you know, from experiencing consequences of what I'm supposed to, I never got a reset. And eventually, the, my very intentions of rescuing you from pain actually end up robing you, putting a robe of, of shame on you that you wear. And unless God comes in and does that miracle, it's, you're going to wear that for a lot. Really so Shauna, Shauna and I were on vacation last week, and uh, we were spending time with some, a, a lot of different pastors. And this one interaction that I had with, with one individual, and this gentleman was talking about parenting and marriage, he, he said this, you know, the biggest problem that we have is as a father— I've tried to meet all my kids' needs. That's what I've done. I've tried to rescue them in situations. I've tried to come along. And what I did is I realized uh, I pointed them to me all the time. You have a need? Call me. You have a need? Call me. You have a problem? I'll fix it. And what I never did is point them to the Father 
I tried to fill the role that the father was trying to play in my life. And, and I thought that was a very fascinating conversation. Chris Knight now wishes he had the opportunity. I rescued my kids entirely too much. I wish that I was, instead of saying, hey, I want you, I, I, I'm going to fix that for you, I wish I would have said, I'm going to let you suffer in this a little longer so that you ultimately get a chance to look at the Father yes. and see the Father. He is the one you go to when you have need. Amen. Well, and you got another question for you. Let's talk about this. And um, what are some practical ways the church can really come alongside with people in recovery? Yes. So here's the thing. Um, we have to, to answer that question. Okay. This is Andy here. So Andy speaks truth and people have to deal with it, I guess, right? Or <laughs> wrestle with it. But we have to define what is the church. So is the church a Sunday morning experience? Throw in a week, a week, you know, middle of the week connection, or is the church seven days a week? So if the church is a Sunday morning, then, you know, and only that, or maybe a Wednesday, whatever, you know, well, then you have to almost create programming. You have to try to put things in a box, you know, to protect yourselves, the church, whatever, all this stuff. But then you have to expect the people coming that are struggling with addiction to actually you know, adapt and, and to like this box that you've created and to then hopefully the hope, right, is in faith that we actually can minister to them. So the church can have a, a specific role in addicts' lives in the Sunday experience. I don't want to diminish that or take away from that. But if but if the church, again, I'm, 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 it's kind of semantics here, but if, if the church is actually not just the building, right, and not just a particular group of people who meet at a certain place at a certain time, if we're Monday through Sunday, then it looks a little different, right? And first of all, the, the two words I just want to say, and if I could be, if you could see this in a text form, it'd be in all caps, by the way, is to be there. You know, it's actually to be there, to show up, to roll up your sleeves, like we like to say. And, um, you know, this isn't everybody, you know, obviously, you, you know, you can't rescue everybody. You can't, you know, get everybody to transform. Um, but the people that God has put in your lane, that's kind of an expression I like. Like if you've traveled through a big city with many lanes, you know, you can't swerve around every lane, right? Like there's, you're in one lane, but the cars that come into your lane, for example, and those are the people in your family. Those are the people in your workplace place. Those are your neighbors. Those are people that you're connected to somehow, right? Um, those are the people in your lane. So what is my role as the church in helping them? Okay. And so I think it's rolling up your sleeves. It's being there. It's, you know, do you take them to a meeting? You know, do you help them get to their probation officer? Now that might not look like paying all their probation fees, right? We just talked about enabling and we don't want to rescue them from all that. But, uh, you know, do you, do you pray as a husband and wife and talk to your children at some point and bring one in for a dinner? You know, the addict is craving community. He's craving family. He's craving belonging. And, um, so, well, how awesome would it be to actually, you know, lovingly and, and, and you can set boundaries and be gracious and careful, all that stuff, but, but bring them in, you know, get close to them, be there. Yes. And Andy, you have a great program that, um, you have individuals that walk with these people that you set up for. Um, what is that? Can you tell us a little bit about that? So adult and teen challenge, right? So what we are is we're a residential ministry, right? We, we're long-term faith-based residential. Those are kind of our three distinguishing characteristics, but yeah, we bring in men 
Um, our specific center is men 18 and up. There are adolescent boys centers, adolescent girls centers, adult women centers. Uh, there's young uh, mom with young children centers. There's husband and wife centers all over the country, not not in our region. But um, yeah, and so what we do is we, that's what we do. We walk with them. We do life with them. Jesus didn't have a building. <laughs> you know, he had uh, he had the power of God. He was God, right? Um, but he had a group of people that that followed him. And that was actually his first instruction, right? Follow me and I will make you become. And so I think that's our invitation to the addict. If we are the church, if we are healthy, right, then we, we ask them to follow us. So, so we do life with them. And when one of them does something that they shouldn't, right, then we, we have the, the relationship, first of all, which is really important. Discipleship is all about relationship. Um, but we also have the, you know, the understood relationship that, that, that we're going to confront these things in love and we're going to see them change. So that's what we do at Adult and Teen Challenge. I mean, we have work experience programs. We have curriculum. We have a whole schedule. It's a pretty structured deal. Um, but really, it's all about a place. It's just a vehicle um, to love people right where they're at, and to love them through their deepest and darkest moments of life. Help them find healing and uh, uh, see their life be transformed by the grace and the power of God. Yeah, and somebody can't just not come up and knock on the door and say, hey, I'm here. Nope. You know, So nope. there's a little bit of an intake program. Can you tell us about that? There is an intake. Uh, there's an interview. There's an application, right? And uh, you know, you can uh, go on to atcni.com, www.atcni, which is Adult Teen Challenge Northern Indiana.com. You can find, you know, resources there. You can find different things, but you can also find our handbook and our application. But the reason that, uh, yeah, thank you for posing that question because a lot of people think we are like a, a mission or right, like you can a. You just come in and knock just come on the in. door. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, we're, we're more like, you know, a uh, Bible college. You just don't walk up to a Bible college and say, I want to enroll here and do education. I mean, you know, there's going to be a, a process, right? We're going to look into things. Um, we're a little bit like a Bible college, a little bit like the church, a little bit like the military, a little bit like a whole bunch of stuff kind of combined <laughs> into one. Um, but this is why the application and why the interview are so important is because just because you have an addiction doesn't actually make you a qualified candidate for our ministry. So uh, a lot of people are sick of their circumstances, Right. Because addiction isn't isn't pleasant. It isn't. I mean, there's parts of it that are terrible and we don't want we don't like going in and out of jail. We don't like being broke all the time. We don't like losing the, the trust of all our families. We don't like those things. But that's not enough. You know, it's not enough to move you into actually wanting healing. So what we do is we discern what we call ministry potential. And that is not only are you tired of your circumstances, but are you actually willing to put forth the effort that it's going to take for you to transform. And that is what we're after. We're, we're looking for that. Great. Well, we have one um, final question that was um, brought to us on Sunday. And so um, I want you to kind of walk us through this. It's kind of heavy. How do you deal with the feelings of guilt if your tough love results in the death of your loved one? Yeah. And this is obviously a, a super deep and tough question, right? Um, and yet it's a, it's, it's a great question because that is often the fear, right, that motivates people to not confront is, well, if I do put up all the resistance and if this goes wrong, then, you know, would I ever forgive myself? Um, and that's, that's what I hear all the time as I'm dealing with families, um, and what I have to say to that is simply this. Um, everything we do in our walk with Christ is a walk of faith. And so 
you know, if you can, if whatever you do, you have to do it into faith unto the Lord. And so, you know, if all of your efforts are in faith and they're really directed at, at trying to help your loved one find that place of freedom and you've understood the difference between, you know, love and enabling and you've, you, you understand that, you know, you've tried to raise the bottom, which is a, to- a, a topic we covered on, on Sunday, um, you know, and you want to, you, you've tried to do all of those things. Um, but you did it to push them closer to the foot of the cross where they would receive ultimate freedom and transformation. And it didn't go the way you planned. You, at the end of the day, you did it in faith unto the Lord. And there would be a, a reward for you. Now, obviously, that <laughs> doesn't take away from the massive uh, pain of, of the loss, right? And I know you've covered grief here in, in previous weeks, and, and it's a real big thing. Um, and God can walk you through that. But listen, nobody's guaranteed outcomes, especially in parenting, right? Like at the end of the day, we do our best, but, but children have their own choices and they will ultimately make their own choices. And I, you know, at some point, I hope that, you know, a loved one, if they are walking through this, that they will come to that place where they can find true healing and not take that burden entirely on themselves, um, you know, so that they can continue to walk and, and move forward in, in life. Um, but, it, but yeah, there are no guaranteed outcomes, no matter what. Um, but I think, you know, as we're intentional about discipling our children from young up, which is what we're talking about, um, you know, train a child on the way they should go, and the, in the end they want to depart. And here's what I also want to say. Uh, we don't know, right, where every—the ultimate goal is eternity in heaven. That's the ultimate goal. And last I checked, none of us here are the judges of, of that, right? right? And so if you trained your children in the way of the Lord and you brought them to the foot of the cross and they accepted Jesus and they moved in life and, you know, maybe had a, a bad season in life, that we don't know where they're at. We don't know. And what if— you know, what if in their in their moments God gives them a choice? You know, and and they're with Him ultimately. And yeah, it's not the way we wanted this to end, right? But what if they're with Jesus in eternity? Then I could say that your job as a parent um, was done. Yeah, and and it seems, and again, I might be reading into the question a little bit here, but I mean, I think it's pretty fair to say that. Your to your point, loving someone will never be the the cause of their death. Their addiction, mm-hmm. their choices can be the the cause of their death. Um, that's yeah. At the end of the day, the responsibility on the person, the addic- the addiction, um, that, it's still a thing. It still it still exists there, and and the individual at the end of the day, has to make a choice for change. No one else can make that choice for them. I know that's a conversation you have probably multiple all the time. multiple times over and over again. Yeah. And and that's in, in our in our pastoral counseling and the work that we do. Um, at the end of the day, I mean, really, if you want to summarize it, it's, it's ultimately what is the choice that you are going to make for yourself? If you're the person that is uh, that is that is in the midst of the hardship that that you are in the midst of the addiction or whatever, what choices are you going to make? Cause no one else can make them for you there. We can't do their blaming and finger pointing and all of that at the end of the day doesn't yield transformation. It doesn't yield change. And that goes to the person that uh, hopefully is trying to come alongside someone. Yeah. If that person goes in a different, in a different way, um, you know, it was brought to my attention we're just coming off of a conference that we were all a part of. And I was reminded 
of the the story of the wealthy the wealthy young ruler who who ends up walking away from Jesus and Jesus doesn't chase him and and like that's an uncomfortable like that's an uncomfortable reality of you know he was faced with a choice mm-hmm. he said there's one thing you lack yet you've you yep you've checked all the other boxes there's one thing you lack yet and the and the person makes the decision to turn and walk oh, away mm-hmm. and 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 brothers and sisters, I hope you hear me loud and clear. We pray against that. We absolutely do. We want to see everyone make the choice to follow Jesus, to come to terms with addiction, to come toward healing. But it doesn't always happen. Right. And and Andy, I mean, uh, despite all your guys' efforts, despite you bringing people to Jesus, despite all of the 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 training and the kind of the rewiring that you hope people experience. It doesn't always go for you as an organization. It doesn't Correct. always go the way that you would hope. You're right. Hope. And what I want to say to that is, is you know, there, you would much rather, you know, look back upon a tragic situation, knowing that you did everything in your power, and that you did it in faith. I mean, when you look at it, like if if you have to walk through this tragedy for whatever reason, you know, I think it's a lot easier to forgive yourself, knowing that your attempts were in faith and to try to help because. You know, than to just say, well, I just let it go and didn't actually confront that stuff. And I enabled it. And I think as a parent, you definitely want to know that you did everything in your power to bring that person to transformation. Um, but yeah, you know, we can't always dictate results, like you said, you know. It's hard. And it's hard. And again, it just, it does speak to, we like to, we all like to believe that we're fully in control of, yeah. of outcomes and circumstances. Ooh, you know, another one, and I mentioned this on, on Sunday. And I kind of botched the scripture reference, and I'll do it again. But um, somewhere in the Gospels, right? In the Luke, it's it, anyways. It's parallel of the prodigal son. the The key point when the son actually returned home was when no one came to his rescue. Mm. And we actually see that it's in there. It's actually written there. I mean, I read all the New King James. I don't know whatever version you like. It's in there. It says when no one came to help. You know, that's when he actually realized the position he was in. And he ran back to the father. He uses that great mm-hmm. language. He came to his. He suddenly came to his senses, and it's yeah. like, how does one suddenly come to their senses apart from the fact that they are there by themselves? No one is softening the blow for them, and they're having to really face the reality in front of them. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So, Andy, um, when you were preparing, you um, have this poem that I'm going to read, and then I want you to explain to me what I'm supposed to do and how it kind of ties to what you do, okay? Okay. The poem is, Drugs control my life, so don't try to convince me that I can be sober, because at the end of the day, I can't do this. And I'm not going to lie to myself by saying I will prosper and succeed. So I'll say to myself... I'll remind myself that I am a selfish, terrible person, and nothing you tell me will make me believe I deserve a good life. Isn't that terrible? (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Um, But this is the thought process of an addict. You know, drugs control my life, right? Don't try convincing me that I can actually be sober. At the end of the day, I can't do this. I'm going to lie to myself, right? I'm going to say all these things over my life. 
you know, I'm not, don't tell me I'm going to prosper. Don't tell me I'm going to succeed. You know, like I am an addict and this is my identity. Again, I'm, I'm robed in that shame and that identity as an addict. And uh, don't tell me I deserve a good life, you know, but, but here's the awesome part is that we believe with all our hearts because we see it over and over. Second Corinthians five seventeen that Jesus actually gives new identities, right? That he changes people's lives. He changes the addict, um, you know, to a free man. Yeah. That's just what he does. And so we, know that when Jesus comes on the scene, he turns everything upside down. Okay. That's what happens. And so you just read this poem, okay, from top to bottom. Now, Angie, I want to invite you to read that poem from bottom to top, right? Let's just assume that Jesus came in and turned everything upside down. What does that sound like? I deserve a good life and nothing you tell me will make me believe that I am a selfish, terrible person. So I will remind myself, I will prosper and succeed, and I'm not going to lie to myself by saying I can't do this, because at the end of the day, I can be sober, so don't try to convince me that drugs control my life. Isn't that cool? That's really cool. That's super cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's cute, right? Yeah. It's, but it's so true, because that's, again, it's God turning things upside down. And so for anyone out there, you know, wondering, can I do this? Right. Um, I will say this, you know, you probably cannot do it by yourself. You know, you're going to need that. You're going to need a strength greater than your own to overcome something that's greater than you, you know? Um, And so, but yes, you can. And I would encourage you to, first of all, call upon the name of Jesus, right? Call upon his name. He is the one. Um, call on it often, call on it in the day, in the night, even after a relapse, after a failure, call on it, like call on it before one. But even if you didn't, right, like call on it after, like bring God into every aspect of this. And then um, call others, call your church, call your pastors, call me at Teen Challenge, call, call somebody and let's walk through this together. Absolutely. Well, guys, we appreciate each and every one of you um, being here. Um, uh, just uh, final, any thoughts that any of you all want to share? And then I'll give the details about how we can uh, we can connect folks with some resources and, and all of that. Andy, I just want to say thanks for being here because we could talk for hours. Uh, I love your take on church. I love your take on relationships and everything like that. I guess one thing I would say to a listener here, realize that we in northern Indiana live in a very proud community, and uh, we tend to sweep a lot of things under uh, the carpet, because we don't want people to know that we struggle. Here's my challenge to you, the listener. Let's break that. Let's stop it. Let's uh, let's not let another generation go by where we continue to make it look by putting on masks that we don't deal with tough stuff. I say let's get out ahead of it. Let's work together. Let's seek the Lord together. Let's live in relationship with each other. Let's press on. Love it. Love it. Andy, thank you. Thank you for what you do for um, those that are hurting Thank you for what you believe in and who you believe in and where you go for your strength. And so we just appreciate you and we appreciate your ministry. And I just want to encourage parents um, as you've listened to this and we hear your heart, we hear those that are struggling and um, we just have to say, Jesus is enough. Mm. Have faith. Yeah. Bring your loved one to the foot of the cross Mm -hmm. and in faith, leave them there. And it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. And for all those good people that are supporting you over there at adult and teen challenge. You've got a great team. Uh, we hope that y'all get to hear this, uh, this episode too. We, we know, uh, we know your hard work. We are praying for you. We thank you for, uh, 
oh gosh, all the unsung hours of of uh, work I, that we don't even know about. I, I just we can't even imagine. But it's a it is a good labor and it's a labor that brings honor to God. And so thank you uh, to all of you for sure. Well, guys, it's been a great show. We uh, just thanks so much for listening. Um, as always, you can head over to walkiemc.org, uh, our at-home tab, uh, which you'll hear on the outro too because I, I can just say it again and again. We're going to have a whole list of resources, uh, recommendations for that Andy has given us of uh, places that people can plug in uh, for recovery. Um, and, and as always, we here as a church, we're here as a church to support you, to have conversation with you, to be the body of Christ. And so – don't hesitate to reach out to us as well. Um, would just love to have any conversation, whether it's related to any of the topics that we've talked about, anything that you're struggling with. We want to be the body of Christ. Uh, it's not about a building or a, or a, just another organization, but rather a bunch of Jesus followers walking uh, with each other. So thanks so much. Appreciate each and every one of you. Can't wait till we get together next week. Until then, peace to all of you. Thanks. At Home, the podcast is produced by Wakarusa Missionary Church in Wakarusa, Indiana. If you've enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating and share this episode. Additional resources related to each episode can be found by visiting wakiemc.org. That's W-A-K-Y-M-C.org. From there, you can click on the At Home tab for more information. Thanks for listening.